We will read a very brief but intense, solemn pronouncement of Jesus to us together. And after that, you can be seated. Let's read this together. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You can be seated. It's a delight to be able to worship with you and also to preach at you this morning. Uh, My job is to be helpful and to be accurate and to be faithful to the scriptures and to help you process and respond to what God has given us here in this text of scripture. So we'll do that together this morning. When someone new visits Seven Mile Road, if you were to catch up with them after, meaning they didn't just run out the back door as fast as they could, that happens sometimes when they see abandon a Bible and a preacher and some other stuff. If you got a chance to catch up with them and you said, hey, tell me your impressions of getting a chance to spend some time on the Lord's Day with this gospel community, at some point, one of the things they're going to say to you is, oh yeah, kids. There was a lot of kids up in that joint. I wasn't expecting that. Little ones, bigger ones, couple of times I nearly broke my neck on a stroller or maybe a car seat sitting in the aisle. Uh, There was a lot of kids. And you would say, yes, absolutely, by God's grace, there are all ages in the life of these churches, Malden, Melrose, Wakefield. But uh, kids, elementary school kids, toddler kids, infant kids, newborn kids, we definitely have that going on. Now, if they were to press you and say, and why is that? What answer would you give? Is it just some kind of a demographic anomaly? Is it just that like attracts like, and so there was a few young families, and then there was a few more, and then there was a few more? Is there something special going on with the grape juice up here, some kind of funky chemical formula, baby-making juice? It's obviously not the wonderful programs that we run for little ones because we don't run any programs for little ones or big ones. Why? Why would a church end up with and love it that the little ones are running rampant in the aisles? Okay, what I'm hoping is that in His grace, through His Word, by His Spirit, our Father will be good to us today, and He will teach us that one of the reasons that we are building a church that is very intentional about welcoming sons and daughters is because we grown-ups desperately need to have little children around us or we will forget what it looks like to receive gospel grace as little, needy, helpless sinners. That we need children here fully embedded in the life of who we are because children, little, small, fragile, empty-handed children who bring nothing to the table and require everything from the table, they are one of our Father's gracious ways of reminding us who we are, what our posture is, if we are ever going to enter and enjoy the kingdom of God. That's where I'm going to take you today if you will come with me 
will begin with and be shaped by the text of Scripture. So hear this with me. I can just say it to you. This is Mark chapter 10. These are God's words given to us, true and helpful. And they were bringing him children that he might lay his hands on them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them and he laid his hands on them. These are God's words. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd be good to us. Father, I just drove by Melrose High School. There are thousands there centered around something other than your word and your gospel and your son. I don't know why you have been this kind to us to call us here, but I pray that you would be doing your infinite gospel work in us and for this world. So come and change us first for your glory and our joy, I pray. Hear me, answer, answer. Amen. Okay, before we get into the warm, fuzzy, affectionate, tender love that Jesus has for the little ones. You guys know the song, right? Jesus loves the little children. Yes, before we get there, I'm actually going to start with some very heavy, very sobering, awful realities, stories of how our world right now thinks about and treats little ones. It is not a very good time to be a child on planet Earth, especially a little child or an unborn child or a handicapped child or a sick child or a poor child. It is not a stretch to say that there is a sense in which the nations of our world detest little children. I'm just going to run down a few examples that I've been reading through this week, but I want you to know that they're heavy, and my heart was just grieved in reading through some of this stuff this week. I wish this wasn't real, but it is, so just hear this with me as we open. It is not a good time to be a little one in Australia. There are two academic ethicists there. And I'll use that term very lightly. It's the label that they assign to themselves. Alberto Gubellini, Francesca Minerva. They have recently written a piece for the Journal of Medical Ethics. And they are arguing that in Australia, it should be perfectly legal and socially acceptable to kill newborn babies. They call it afterbirth abortion. Here's the abstract. I'll just read it to you. Abortion is now largely accepted, even for reasons that don't have anything to do with the fetus's health. And so in this paper, by showing that, one, neither fetuses nor newborns have the moral status of actual persons, two, the fact that both are potential persons being morally irrelevant, 
And three, that adoption is not always in the best interest of actual people. We will argue that what we call after-birth abortion, killing a newborn child, should be permissible in all cases, including cases where the newborn is not disabled. So I didn't even know what to do when I read that, but this is published, academic, proper stuff in Australia. Can you feel what they have done? They have taken this text and they have turned it backwards. And what is their mantra? Let us not receive the little children who would come to us. It's not a very good time to be a little sick child in Canada. Now, if you've read about four-year-old Joey Marocli, did you read about this boy? He was born very, very, very sick, degenerative uh, neurological condition. At about three and a half, his lungs stopped working. He was being kept alive only through a ventilator. Canadian healthcare is socialized. His parents went to the doctors and the bureaucrats, and they said, give our son a tracheotomy, open up his throat so that he can breathe. We will take him home. We want him to die in the presence of his mom and his dad and his family before he goes to be with Jesus. The state and the doctor said, no. Here's a consent order. Sign it and we'll take him off life support and he'll die here in the hospital. The parents said, no. This is my little child. Do the tracheotomy. He'll be able to breathe for a few hours or days or weeks. We want him dying at home with us. And the doctor said, no, it's too invasive of a procedure that would needlessly prolong your son's life without any positive impact on its quality. That's a quote. They said, we'll compromise. We'll drive your little boy to your house, then we'll take him off the ventilator, and he may die on the steps on the way in. Can you feel this? If you take this text and you turn it on its head, this is... Canada. Do not let the little sick children come to us. India. Not a very good time to be a little girl in India. Do you know that the vast majority of unborn children who have been taken in India in the last 10 years have been daughters on purpose? The fathers don't want them. The families don't want them. It costs too much to have a daughter compared to a son. Ultrasound, if it's not a male baby, we terminate it. Over 9 million little Indian girls have been taken over the last 10 years. They are literally altering the sex ratio of an entire nation. Boys, 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 boys. Untold social consequences on the horizon. But can you feel the basic posture? Take this text, turn it on its head. No, 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 no. Don't let the little girls come to us. It is not a very good time to love little children in China. China remains a communist country. Among other things, this means that the civil authorities are not living by faith that the God who commanded us to be fruitful and multiply can find a way to provide for the physical and environmental needs of our sons and daughters. And so, they have a child limit policy. I know you know about this. It's a complicated system. 
but basically it means that there's no Chinese family who's allowed to have more than two children. Many of them, it's only one. Parents who abide properly by the rules are given extra pension benefits, the first choice of government jobs, extra land allowances. If they just have one child, they're given bonus points on the middle school entrance exam. There was a Chinese dad who was interviewed and said, no, absolutely, I would rather have my first car than a second child. You feel that basic worldview? Take this text, turn it on its head. No, 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 don't let the little children, plural, come to us. And of course, we know that it is not a very good time to be a little unborn child or a little child or even a teenager in these United States. This came so clear in soul-grieving ways to believers a few years ago. Words spoken by our president. He was asked that, he was asked about abortion, and he said that if his teenage daughter was to become pregnant, he would want her to be free to abort the child and not be punished with a baby and given instead a second chance. I hope that grieved you when you heard that. Think of the loathing of this man for little children, his daughter, and his grandchild, multiplying his teenage daughter's sins by adding killing of her child to her sexual sin instead of embracing her and loving her and forgiving her and calling her to the joy of righteousness. This is your country. This First family does not allow our children to drink chocolate milk anymore at lunchtime, but they are all for our children killing and being killed. This is where we live. Take this text, turn it on its head. That's who we are. Do not let the little children come to us. No thank you. Okay, you could probably step up here right now and be recounting some of the horrors of the day that we live in when it comes to little ones. But then we come to the text of Scripture. It is a breath of glorious fresh air. It is stunning, jolting to our system, to our child-eliminating, child-avoiding, child-spiting ways. It gives us a vision to think differently about little ones. And this is the text that, that I've been called to work together with you. With that grieving worldview in place, Let's go to the text of Scripture together. We are in Mark's Gospel. And Mark naturally moves from a story that Joey preached to us last week about Jesus and marriage to a story about Jesus and children. Now, I know this is a great surprise to you Bostonians, but marriage and children are tightly bound together in the intention of God. And so in Scriptures all the time, you will see them together. Mark gives us this story that the disciples could never, never forget. Something about what Jesus did on this day seared into their memory. It is typical, beautiful Jesus of Nazareth. He is aggressive. He is firm. He is tough. He is strong. And yet at the same time, he is tender and affectionate and mild and welcoming. It's amazing how he was both at the same time in the same story, all the time. In Jesus' day, it wasn't like what I described to you of our day, 
it wasn't so much that the Jewish culture in Galilee hated children or wanted to eliminate children or minimize children. It was that they just saw children as something to be tolerated. Childhood was viewed as just a necessary time frame until you could get to adulthood. So the basic attitude was this. Hey, moms, you do what you need to do with the little ones. Just keep them out of our hair until they're big enough to cast a net or swing a hammer or work behind some ox. Then we'll get involved with our sons and our daughters. I thought this was a great summary statement of the time. One will search Jewish and early Christian literature in vain for sympathy to the young. So that's the cultural background of this text. Children are a gift from God, but childhood, not really. Once they're older, we will appreciate them. But when they're little, there's nothing we can learn from them. There's nothing that they can help us with. There's no reason to have them around. Talk to me when he turns 13. Tell me when she's 15. Then we'll, then we'll get involved. That's the worldview that this text comes to us in. First verse, and they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. Okay, this vague, indefinite opening to the story is typical Mark, right? He always leaves the details out so that you have to focus only on the words and the work of Jesus. This story, like all of his others, has no frills at all. Now, if you study the pronouns, what it feels like is that you have little children 10 years old, 12 years old, 9 years old, bringing their little brothers and sisters, infants, paideia is the Greek word in here, it's for little nursing ones, to Jesus. So picture like if Matthew Jacob picks up Callie and has to walk her somewhere, or a 9-year-old is, is helping mom with the little baby. That means that this little scene in the Gospels probably looks a lot like the kid's sermon that we do down here, which means it's kind of like controlled chaos. In this scene, you probably have 10-year-olds, 8-year-olds, 5-year-olds, 2-year-olds, some newborns, maybe a mom or a dad thrown in. And what does that mean? It's loud. It's sloppy. Something does not smell great up in here. There's matchbox cars being whizzed back and forth. We probably got a brawl between two little Jewish boys going on over here. It's raucous, it's distracting, there's some crying going on, somebody's hungry. So this is most definitely an interruption to Jesus' nice and neat teaching schedule. This would definitely be an inconvenience if your major goal was that the gospel would be clearly proclaimed and heard. How do the disciples respond to this little baby interruption? And the disciples rebuked them. Okay, so we've seen this word before in Mark's gospel. It is an intense word. This is the word for Jesus exercising demons. This is the word for Jesus telling Peter, get, get away from me, get behind me. This is the word that you would use when you were going to repel an unwelcomed enemy. And the disciples are dropping this venom on little kids. It's like coming up and snapping on the kids' sermon up here. Urgh. They try to drive the children away. Stop it. Get out of here. This is not a place for you to be. Now, why would they do that? 
they are making the mistake of thinking that the kingdom of God, that this gospel that Jesus came proclaiming is big people stuff, that it takes a certain level of intelligence and accomplishment to welcome the kingdom of God, that they are too young to receive what it is that God is offering in his Messiah, that Jesus' time would be wasted on little ones. This work is too important to be interrupted by children. When they see these little, helpless, needy, inconvenient kids, their heart responds to forbid them from Christ. Wait till you're more mature and more grown up, and then we can talk about the gospel. How does Jesus respond? Good job, boys. This ain't Chuck E. Cheese up here. I got some important gospel work to do. I worked on this sermon I'm giving today. I don't have time to hand out lollipops or change diapers. Thank you for saving me from that potential distraction. Did we read that? It says that Jesus saw it and he was indignant. And he said, let the little children come to me. Don't forbid them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Okay, this is the only time in your Bible you're going to see this word indignant associated with the response of Jesus. It means to arouse one's anger and vent it without brooding about it. Uh, Around here we would say it means that Jesus snapped. You know when you just let fly? He just didn't even think about it. He just went right off and yelled at his disciples for yelling at the little kids. He comes to defense of the children immediately. Don't talk to them that way. This is Jesus' tone. Don't you ever chase a little one off. What is wrong with you guys? Let them come to me. This is who my gospel is for. And you can hear the pause in the hearts of the disciples. And they just look at Jesus like, what? These are little, helpless, nothing children. Jesus, infants. Now, you're not a dad, Jesus. Maybe you don't know about infants. Maybe you forgot. But they bring nothing to the table. They can do nothing on their own. They're not even potty trained. They require someone else to do all the work for them. And and they offer you nothing in return. And what does Jesus say? Exactly. Yes, exactly. That is exactly the reason that you need children around you, near you, running through your legs, in your homes, in the life of your church, to remind you, this is who you are. Okay, and this is where the world that we live in gets everything exactly backwards, boom, backwards. Why is it that Australia and India and China and Canada and America despise the littlest and the weakest and the frailest and the sickest of the little ones. 
Why do we end the unexpected pregnancies, kill the handicapped children as they would do in Australia, or those two would? Why do we eliminate the daughters? Why do we go one and done? Why? What drives us to this? It's because we get that children are super needy. If we welcome them, we are going to have to pour tons of ourselves into them without them doing a thing to deserve it or earn it or even help out with it. And we don't want to deal with it. That's why we would never have our daughter give birth to a child and be punished in that way. It will cost her and cost us too much. And so we figure that the scripture should say, don't let the super needy children come to us. But what does Jesus say? He says, world, you are perfectly right in your diagnosis. Perfectly right. You got it. Little children, especially the unexpected, the unwanted, the handicapped, the poor, the sick, they are a huge inconvenience. They do require everything. They don't provide nothing. And that is exactly why you need to welcome them, love them, cherish them, because they are you. And every time you welcome a little child, you are given a picture of the gospel. And if you don't get that, if you don't see yourself as super needy, empty-handed, ridiculously helpless, and so have a heart that is for those who are super needy, ridiculously helpless and empty-handed, what does Jesus say? You can never enter the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, what happens when Jesus starts with those words right there? You freeze because he's about to give a solemn pronouncement of life and death. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a paedia, a helpless child, can never enter or enjoy my kingdom. Can you feel that? So the gospel that we preach is not for the sophisticated, the accomplished, the educated. It's not for those who are smart enough to pass the test. It's not enough for those who have finally put enough in their hands to come to God to be accepted. It is not for those who are qualified. It is about you realizing that your hands are empty, that you bring nothing to the table until you see that that is who you are and receive that, you have no part in the kingdom of God. The gospel cannot be received by you. And so can you guys see why it is crucial that a gospel people like Seven Mile Road foster a deep love for little ones? We need them. We need them to remind us what it looks like to believe the gospel. On Friday night, for the first time, we found out that Callie has allergies. Callie is our little one, our three-year-old. She's three going on like 26, but she's still three. 
And this little girl, this little one, just ended up standing in my kitchen like this. She had water running down her eyes, buckets of water. She had this giant snot ball in her left nostril, just like huge. She was knee deep in toilet paper because she knew she needed it, but she couldn't figure out how to break it off, so she just pulled the whole thing out into the kitchen. She was just a useless, helpless, needy mess. And I had to go upstairs, find the medicine cabinet, get the Claritin, and read the label, and get out this syringe, the, the thing that you measure the medicine in, and I had to measure it out, and then Grace had to get rid of the bubbles, and then I had to hold her, and I had to give it to her a tiny bit at a time, and oof, it was some serious work. And all she did was just stand there, a little needy, useless mess. And you know what happened that night? Because I've been meditating on this text, my soul rejoiced in the grace of God to me that afternoon. And I said, Father, thank you for giving me this little child and that moment because that's who I am. I come to you with my eyes watering and giant snot balls and toilet paper everywhere, empty-handed, in need of undeserved grace, or I'm done. And you welcome me, and you love me, and you care for me, and you work for me. And that's the only reason that I'm a part of your kingdom. That's it. And having this little girl and this little episode reminded me of that. Thank you, Father. Now, if there is no Cali, it's the basic worldview of planet Earth right now. Let's get rid of the little ones. If there is no Cali, if my heart despises Paidia, and I want nothing to do with them, I miss out on the gospel of God. This is why we had Pastor Matt read from 1 Corinthians to open the service. You know what was going on there? The people of this church were getting all grown up and sophisticated. And they were saying, hey, we don't want Pastor Paul preaching to us anymore. We are Corinthians. We are intellectuals. We are cosmopolitans. We want Apollos. He's much more handsome than Paul. He looks way better in jeans and sneakers. And he's such a great orator. We don't want Paul. We want Apollos. And what did Paul say to them? He said, don't forget your calling. In other words, don't forget when you were brought to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't forget what happened that day. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose you anyway. Now, that does not mean that no rocket scientists can ever come to faith in Jesus, right? It doesn't mean that master's degrees are not allowed up in Seven Mile Road. We're totally cool with that. But it means that if any of us comes to Christ thinking that we are somebody because we know a little bit of something, because we're a little bit sophisticated, because we bring something to the table. There is no place for you in the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what Jesus is teaching us in this text. Truly I say to you, 
Whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a helpless child has no place, can never enter it. You want to see the kingdom of God. Don't go to Boston University Divinity School. Don't even go to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. You want to see the kingdom of God. Come watch Julie hold Noah. Do that. Do that today. She's here. Spend a few minutes with her. Watch Sarah nursing Kylie. Okay, don't watch Sarah. (laughs) You know what I mean. Be around a nursing mom. How's that? Watch Matthew Jacob helping Callie reach the sink to watch her hands. That is the kingdom of God right there. Watch Matt Moran trying to burp Zoe. It's a great adventure. That's the kingdom of God, useless and helpless. She will die if dad doesn't pick her up and clear that gas from her lungs. And when you watch that little child, that's you. And when you see that mother or father, furious love for that child, or the big brother even, undeserved love, caring for this helpless one, this is where you are reminded who the gospel is for, what the gospel is. This is the answer to the question we started with of why we pray to God that Seven Mile Road would always be filled with Little ones, this is why it is such a terrible sin for Australia and Canada and India and China and America to do what we do to the littlest of children. You guys know that this text means that every abortion, every infanticide, every sterile marriage on purpose, every limiting of little ones is not just an attack on children. Who is it an attack on every time? It's an attack on God. We don't want to admit that we are fragile, helpless, useless, empty-handed sinners in need of grace. We reject God and his gospel, and so we reject the little ones. But then God in his grace visits people. By his spirit, he changes the hearts of men and women and churches Jesus, please, nations. And when we begin to say yes to the gospel of God, what do we also begin to say yes to? To the little ones. We'll provide for them. We'll care for them. We'll give ourselves to them. They are grace from God to us, to remind us, to show us his love for us. We go from looking like the disciples to looking like Jesus. This last verse in this text is just mesmerizing. Jesus' response could not be set more in contrast to the disciples' response. What happens at the very end? And he took the little helpless babies in his arms and he blessed them and he laid his hands on them. Remember, they just came looking for one touch, right? Just if this man of God would just touch my little brother or my little sister, that's what mom wants us to come do, that God's blessing would be on her. Jesus won't just touch. What does he do? There's no little kids up here. I need a little kid. He just like folds them up in his arms one by one, 
and he caresses them and he kisses them and he holds them and he lays his hands on them and he blesses them. And then he takes the next and then the next, totally interrupting his sermon for the day, showing off the gospel of the kingdom of God. I love that because this is the gospel, right? You come to Jesus useless and helpless and he overwhelms you with affection and care and attention. Okay, let's move to application together as a church. Let's sear these things in our DNA. How can we as individuals and as a church respond well to this text and say yes to this idea that we welcome and don't forbid the little ones? Okay, I could give you 40 of these. I'll just give you a couple before we finish. So one, let's start with the easy one. Let's have them. Yes, let's have babies. So we're talking here about broad, all else equal, heart level obedience to the commands of Scripture. When God instructs us to be fruitful and multiply, when Jesus teaches us, hey, you need little ones around to remind you about my gospel, our response should be what? Let's do this thing. All right. The scriptures are replete with praises of the crowded house and the the fruitful marriage and the busy mom and the providing father. Why are we so afraid to be glad in those things in our day? It's confusing to me. Last year sometime, I forget who it was, but there was back-to-back-to-back seven-mile road babies born at Melrose Wakefield Hospital. Three nights in a row, I rolled in there to the front desk, and the third night, the lady was like, seven-mile road, right? And I used that opportunity to preach to this little nurse sitting back there. Yeah, that's right. Because God has changed our hearts and he's caused us to see that the little ones show off the display of his love for us in the gospel. And I'd be here every day of the week if I could just somehow pull that off. Yeah, that's right. Seven Mile Road. We need as many babies around here, little ones, to remind us, don't miss the kingdom of God. Being a dad four times has been some of the most helpful and sanctifying stuff in my life. I have had to hold and bless and lay hands on, pray for and forgive and work hard to provide for and love and nurture four ridiculously helpless, useless, empty-handed little ones. It has changed my heart about my father's love for me. Show me the depth of Jesus' grace. Okay, now this does not mean that every single seven-miler is going to get married and have seven kids. Some of you will be called by God to singleness with your life. That is a beautiful, healthy, God-honoring calling. And we have seen single people love little ones in the life of our church. Some of you will struggle with the the suffering of infertility, and you will not be able to have as many children as you would have hoped to have had. There are no holy bonus points for who gets to having the most kids in the life of the church. But all else equal, as God allows, we should embrace pregnancy and childbirth together. Faith and obedience will be tested here with us in two ways. One is the delaying of having babies and the other would be the purposeful minimizing of having babies. Tell you what I mean. Grace recently talked with a woman who spent a bunch of time with us, actually, for about a year, and they caught up. 
and she is 37 years old, and her husband is 41 years old. And she said, well, we're beginning to think about maybe considering having children. When I heard that, I was grieved, and I said, she doesn't get the gospel yet. She's not there yet. Because a heart that gets the gospel at 37 with a husband would not have to maybe think about considering perhaps little ones. I have a dear friend who I grew up with who lives south of here, and she has one daughter and a 4,500-square-foot home. Her daughter has her own floor of the house. Zero intentions of adding to the number of children in their home. One and done and zip it up. And I know her and I love her. Her heart is not alive to the gospel. She hasn't seen yet who she is, what God has done for her, what the nature of the kingdom of God is. And so children are not a delight to her soul. Don't go there. By faith, if God allows, be excited about little ones. Okay, and then second, let's have them with us. So we purposely work very hard to have the littlest ones around us as often as possible in the life of our church. And I know that you felt that, right? Again, this is not a point of legalism. Some churches don't have kids in the service until they're 12. Others have them in the service for the whole service, regardless of what's going on. We have our moms in the back and our toddlers downstairs being cared for during the preaching time. But the idea is what? We are cool with little ones being around a lot. I love it when we're singing and a little two-year-old kid shakes loose from dad and just starts running around down here and messing with the microphone cords. Is that a delight to your soul? You should love that. I love it when there's a little six, nine-month-old with mom and he gets her keys and he's just drilling them off his forehead in the back. And you guys are like, what is going on? I'm trying to listen to Matt. Have you noticed that that does not bother me? That's because God has changed my heart. I will take a little one banging keys all day long. I love it when a mom has to stand up in the middle of my preaching and go out and be caring for her little one. Now, if a grown man takes a cell phone call in the middle of my preaching, there's going to be some blows after the service. But a little one? I love that. Why? I need the interruption. How easy would it be for me, 11-year founding pastor, wordsmith, sophisticated sermons, to start thinking, ah, this gospel thing is for people who can, who can stay with me for an entire sermon. I can't be distracted. That would be death to my soul. I need the little ones. One of the most important things that Grace and I did together this year, because our little ones are getting big, right? We're, we're at the stage like... Are we going for adopting a little one, or are we just going to get this oldest child of ours married and become grandparents fast, which is it going to be over the next stretch of time here? The most important thing that we have done together, one of the most this year, was that when Matt led the soul care training, we were downstairs caring for 10 little ones for about two hours, and it was a mess, and it cost us some serious energy. And there was like two different fist fights because I wasn't paying attention. 
and, and there was diapers that needed dealing with, and it was some serious work. And those little kids would have been lost down there without us. I mean, Fells Way, boiler room, it would have just been crazy. Do you know how good it was for our soul to be down there, giving ourselves to little helpless, needy children for two hours together to be reminded? That's right. Our house has been filled with them. They're getting bigger. But this was such a great reminder of God's grace to us. Man, our nursery volunteer list has to be packed with every single name of every single person who claims to love Jesus and love his gospel and be a part of our church. I I know for some of you that's impossible, but how could you not? How could your heart have received the grace of God and not said, ooh, there's a chance for me to be hanging out with the little ones? You just tell me where and when, and I will be there. I need them. If your heart races to frustration or anger with little kids being around or the needs that they have, that's actually a point of repentance for you. To say, Father, you got to turn my heart. I don't want to be like Australia, India, Canada, China, America. I want my heart to be right here. Let the little ones come to me. Don't hinder them from being involved in my life. I am telling you guys that if we could get there, this church would light up Massachusetts because we have come to see who we are and our heart has been turned toward those who were like us. That's the gospel and it should be a delight to you. This is good news, right? You don't have to be sophisticated. You don't have to be accomplished. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to have the right last name. You don't have to bring jack squat to the table. God has done all the work for you. Receive it as a child. Okay, let's pray this together. Father, I pray that you would capture the hearts of Seven Mile Road, that we would delight in the little ones. We would love to hold them and change them and nurse them and raise them and discipline them and laugh with them and play with them because to such belongs the kingdom of God. We are terrified at the specter of a nation that treats little ones the way that ours does. I pray that you would forgive us as a people and change our hearts one by one, home by home, person by her person, please in your grace. I pray that if there is anybody in here who comes thinking their hands are filled and they are qualified to receive the gospel, that today you would give them eyes to look at their hands and see them as empty, useless, and helpless, and that they might walk from here with the joy of having entered the kingdom of God. Thank you for your love for us. Turn that love in us toward our little ones for their health, for your glory, And do it again and again and again and again and again. I pray that these things would come to pass by your spirit. Hear my prayer. Amen.